Scripture reading is taken from Job, chapter 19, verses 23 to 27, the New International Version, page 480 in your pew Bibles. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. John eighteen thirty three through 37. Jesus' first trial. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would not fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. We step for a minute from our ancient Jewish roots to our ancient Christian roots and talk a little bit about uh, this season we find ourselves in. I caught myself the other day, uh, somewhere around January 2, saying to somebody as I left their store, Merry Christmas! And Happy New Year, and I thought, what a putz, you know, how did I get that so backwards, so wrong, so what, what, anyway. But then I consoled myself because I realized there are 12 days of Christmas. I've just forgotten. In fact, I'm, if you're from, I, I'm from, I'm an honorary Armenian. I, I think you should know that. Even I'm Honesian, Greg Honesian. <laughs> I have lived in Fresno and my son was born there. I have lived in Hollywood and pastored eight years there and I have lived in Glendale now eight years. Those are the three largest Armenian cities in the world outside of Armenia. (laughs) And their Christmas is January 6th. So, uh, Merry Christmas. I'm only a few days late now, but there there are 12 days of Christmas. And I didn't grow up with that. Did you grow up with that? Awesome. Our Armenian over here did, and an Icelandic individual grew up with that 12 days of Christmas. I just thought, who wants anything to do with, you know, 12 lords a-leaping and all that stuff, or whatever it is. Anyway. Christmas tide ends, and we move into something that I have never spent any time with as a child, or never really heard about growing up, and... Because of that, I have to say it's, it's not extremely important to me now, and I don't expect it to be extremely important to all of you right now. I'm just putting it out there as a piece that can continue to inform us on our journeys together, and that's, it's the season of epiphany in the Christian church. Now, I say the Christian church, you're probably thinking Catholic, and, and in point of fact, Catholic means universal, And I would hasten to point out that there was a time in our history when there was but one church. Up until 1022 AD, there was one church on earth. That was just the Christian church. And then it split and fractured into its orthodox factions and so forth. So 
I, I'm not referencing Catholicism. I'm not referencing Lutheranism or any, anything else per se. I'm not trying to drag the particulars of another denomination into your experience. I'm trying to say the Christian church as a whole for centuries now uh, has talked about seasons of, of experience and faith, and Epiphany is one of them. So I thought over the next few weeks it wouldn't hurt for us just to address what the classic epiphanies are about. Now, we know this word because we've used it for ourselves, right? You say to somebody, you turn over in the morning and say to your husband, Honey, I've had an epiphany, a vision. Something's been opened up to you. You've come to realize the importance or something. Sometimes you've been... um, Thinking about something a long time and the answer doesn't come to you? Have you experienced this? And then one flash of an instant it comes to you in an an epiphany? A revelation? Right? So all epiphany is, it's not some bizarre thing. All it is is something that tells us in a flash, in a moment, that reveals to us something important about who Jesus is. Anybody got a problem with that? Good, 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 good. All right. So the first epiphany we've already covered, actually. You realize that the first epiphany, and I talked about it during Christmas season, was Anna and Simeon in the temple. Did you realize that? Now, the epiphany that precedes that had been the angel speaking to Mary, correct? What a revelation. Yes, we know you've never been with a man, but you're going to have a child. That's an epiphany. Okay? But that doesn't tell us much, right? We hear that and, and we don't really know how to receive that. And nor did Mary, for that matter. She did her best. Joseph received it and he knew what to do with it. He was going to quietly put her aside. And then he got another epiphany. The angel visited him and said, No, that child is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph stayed with Mary. Isn't that the story? So really the first collective epiphany that comes is this couple goes, Jesus has been born. It's the eighth day. It's his bris. They're circumcising him and giving him a name. But before they can get to that place, they are accosted by two prophets in the temple, Anna and Simeon. And they say absolutely beautiful, remarkable things about Jesus. And Mary treasured up these things in her heart, the scripture tells us. That was a testimony from within. Anna and Simeon were Jewish, devout Jews. They were worshipers of the one true God. They were in the temple prophesying. They were waiting. Simeon had been told he would not see death until he saw the deliverance of Israel. So the first epiphany is a revelation from within. God reveals something to us about who this Christ child is in the person of two prophets, male and female, elderly, respected, blessed. Can you imagine the blessing of holding in your arms the son of the living God? I've got news for you. Every time you hold a baby, you hold the son or daughter of the living God. You just don't hold the Christ child. It's pretty awesome what God has done. 
The second epiphany we think of as happening right there at the same time as the shepherds and the angels. Glory to God in the highest. There's this wonderful scene over Bethlehem. And our crutches are all Northern European style, designed to uh, uh, help us understand that moment. But if you've ever been to Bethlehem, you know that it's not at all like a Northern European crutch. It's stone everywhere and hills. There's debate about the revelation from without. There are traditional names, Melchior and so forth, for the three wise men. They're variously understood as coming from different parts of what is now the Middle East. Some would say as far as India, some traditions. Some would say Saudi Arabia region or just perhaps not even quite that far away. We get this idea in our heads that Jesus is born and the night he's born, the shepherds and the angels happen and then the magi show up. But it didn't work that way. And the sign that they saw, that's debated too. There are those who think it was a comet, and there's astrological evidence for the fact that there was a comet at that particular time, which would have indeed been a very unusual sign in the sky, and that somehow they were motivated by that to to go. There's another theory that says there were three different conjunctions of planets that were highly unusual within a 15-month space, and the fact that all three happened so closely together tipped off these astrologers, and I'm not asking you to go get your tarot card read today, don't you dare. But these three astrologers reading the heavens and the signs there knew something was very important for one of the stars they saw was the sign of the king. And they were willing to follow that truth and for months they journeyed until they arrived in, not in Bethlehem but in Jerusalem where they met first with Herod unwittingly tipping him off and creating a panic within his uh, cabinet, if you will. And it was the uh, slaughter of the innocents that followed because they were so determined to make sure no king could arise other than Herod. But these three magi are the witness from without. Now, I don't care really how we, we fully understand them. I think it's interesting to speculate. At the very least... They knew astrology and astronomy. At the very least, they were from a non-Jewish religion, but possibly familiar with Jewish prophecy. At the very least, they were um, of some sort of Middle Eastern mysticism, may have been Zoroastrians for all we know. But the, the key factor is that they were a different people of a different place of a different culture, of a different religion, who saw evidence for something very important in their minds and with all of their hearts pursued it and brought with them gifts for royalty, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and laid them before Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, not the newborn. That's the witness from without. They bear witness from outside the tradition that this child born is special. This child of Mary's is a king. 
That's the witness from without. There are lots of witnesses from without in Scripture that give us a moment, a glimpse, an epiphany, an idea that that help us grasp who Jesus is. You see, when three wise men showed up with their gifts, they revealed a number of things. They were not only an exterior witness to an interior truth, but they testified to his kingliness. Gold was a gift for kings, but it would serve to preserve the family in Egypt's land as they had to make that journey. Joseph was likely a stonemason, not a wealthy person. I know in our tradition he's a carpenter, but again, that's kind of northern European. If you go to northern Germany, there are trees everywhere. If you go to Israel, there are stones everywhere. If you look at what European homes are made of, they're made of brick and stone and straw and plaster and so forth. If you look at what classic Middle Eastern homes are made of in, in the Arabian sense, and if you go to Palestine, you go to Israel, you go to Lebanon, you go to any of these places, it's stonework. Joseph was likely a stonemason. Not a wealthy man, but a laborer. And so these were not wealthy people. And this gift of gold was preserving. Now, we don't know a lot about frankincense and myrrh in our culture, except I can assure you they were every bit as valuable as gold. They were burial spices, and the combination would would tell us uh, a foreshadowing, perhaps, of the kind of king Jesus was to be. One who would be embalmed in burial spices frankincense and myrrh and indeed he was but also hearkens to the fragrance you see in the old testament the incense was created special i don't know if you've ever read that in numbers god gave a formula for the incense that was burned in his sanctuary how many of you knew that good for you good students of scripture i just discovered that this week Don't write me off because of that. I'm I'm learning new things too. So here's this formula, and it includes, guess what? Frankincense. And God says to the maker of the formula, he says, don't you dare make this for public consumption. If anybody makes this formula and places it on their bodies, they are to be sent out of the camp. They are an anathema to me. This is only for my house of worship. When this very special incense was made that was to be burned before the Lord, and that was part of the formula, when the three kings bring this, they're hearkening back, whether they know it or not, to something very sacred. That is the offering of incense that goes before the Lord night and day in the house of God. Jesus would be offered up as a fragrant offering. The witness from without, it's an epiphany. Today we read in Job, Job was neither Jew nor Gentile. He predates Abraham, the father of the Jews. Job writes this amazing, or says, and it's recorded, this amazing passage. I know that my Redeemer lives. 
And the worms consume my body, yet in my flesh will I see God. That's a witness from without. Here is a man being consumed by the most painful of boils and skin afflictions. His friends are asking him constantly, what have you done? What have you done? His wife is saying, well, she may have been Jewish. Oy vey, be done with it already. Curse God and die. I don't know. He's not a happy camper. But he will not curse God and die. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And when my skin is gone, when my misery is over, when I've been consumed by worms, when it's all said and done in my very flesh, with these very eyes, I will see my God. Salvation. Redemption. Renewal. Resurrection. It's a revelation. It's an epiphany. Out of suffering comes this moment of vision that has instructed Christians for centuries. And we all know it really well since Handel put it to music, don't we? When I said those words, how many of you were started singing, I know that my Redeemer liveth? It was all I could do not to sing it to you. It's a powerful piece. We skip ahead to the end of Jesus' life. He's arrested. He's been accused. The shuffling process has begun and he's before Pilate. Pilate's wife will or has warned him. He's not inclined to find fault with this man. But Jesus is being accused of being an insurrectionist and when you are a king, nothing is more threatening than that. When your government Nothing is worse than insurrection. And so because of this, Rome will be swift to respond. Right there at the city gate, we'll hang the insurrectionist on the tree. And you can watch them struggle in agony for breath until they're gone. And naked will leave them to rot so that you will not be tempted to challenge Rome. Don't even think about it. Some say that you're a king, Pilate says. I love Jesus' response. He's not afraid, is he? Not a hint of fear in the man. He turns to Pilate and he says, Is that from you? Is that your question? Is that your deepest longing and wondering? Is that something that you are pondering or did that come from elsewhere? Pilate's above this. 
He's not about to bear his soul. He has a chance to, doesn't he? In this moment, Pilate could have taken an entirely different route, and he takes the route of a typical bureaucrat. Do I look Jewish to you? Is my name Jewish? Am I a Jew? I don't think so. I'm Roman, we own you. Your people handed you over to me. The tough, tough answer in a tough time. And Jesus says, well, my kingdom is not of this world. Never has been. And there's an epiphany. There's a new revelation that this isn't about human strivings. This is about something greater than us all. So you are a king then, Pilate says. Well, that's what they say. You have said it. Christ's affirmation of his place. I don't think Pilate meant to be giving testimony. But he opens up a door that has never been opened for us in scripture before. And the king of the Jews is revealed. Not just king of the Jews, but Lord of lords and king of kings. Lord of all. So in the season of Epiphany, we're going to continue to explore these stories that inform us in ways that may, may have at one time been shocking or even surprising. And in encountering them again may shock and surprise us, renewing within us the faith and the hope that we've carried from Christmastide. For not only is the babe born in Bethlehem, he's the redeemer that lives. He's the savior that's come. He's the king whose kingdom is not of this world, but transcends boundaries and barriers, politics and nations, creeds, countries, races. It's the revelation of Jesus. And that's the season we get to explore. <clears throat>